0: We are starting our series on the book of Galatians. And as always, we just produce a little study book, a little series booklet. If you would like a copy, please don't take one if it doesn't interest you, but if you would like a copy, would you just raise your hand? And my beautiful daughter is going to come and just make them available to you. Don't feel under any obligation or any pressure, but if you would like one, if you find it helpful, then please take one. If not, save some trees. So this morning we're, we're looking at the book of Galatians. Galatians is a book in the New Testament and we'll be sitting here in this book for a couple of months. Um, the first Sunday of the month we'll continue our family services and the, a series on the parables but we're not talking about parables at our family services. We'll be in the book of Galatians. So I just encourage you to read through it. On YouTube there are some amazing resources where someone can read it to you. Uh, There's some uh, really great things. We are so blessed with so much information. But I encourage uh, each one of us to really get into the Word and to understand what it is saying to us. So Galatians. Uh, Where we're going to end up today is, is really to know grace and peace is to be Christ's servant. We're going to look at Galatians 1, verses 1 to 10 today. And that's where we're going to end up. But before that, it'll help maybe to just have a little bit of background to the letter of Galatians, to this uh, letter that was written by Paul and it was sent to a group of people who lived in a place called Galatia. In about the 1930s, there was some papyrus discovered, manuscripts of the New Testament, it's aptly named Papyrus 46 and on this particular piece of papyrus um, there is a copy of a lot of the New Testament including the book of Galatians and this particular uh, um, uh, uh, papyrus was uh, essentially sold off by whoever found it, I don't really know where it came from but about half of it uh, is with a university in, in America and the other half of it is in a museum in Dublin. Um, ancient literature is, is a really interesting and unique thing, but it can bore you to tears as well. Anyone here already sensing bored to tears? I, I just want to just briefly take a moment that when people historically look at ancient manuscripts, by far and above, the greatest bulk of manuscripts available is about the Bible. by far and above. There's about 25,000 or so ancient pieces of manuscript, some in Greek and some in Latin. And roughly, about every 100 years or so, since they believe that the New Testament was actually written, there were copies made, regular copies. So after the first 100 years, they reckon there might have been 15 complete copies, 48 after 200, 70 after 300. There were lots of copies made. And the analysis that they have, the techniques that they have, the 138,000 words or so, Greek words in the New Testament, they identified that the majority of copies, 95 to 99%, are accurate. That is astounding. Have you ever had to copy words before? Have you ever had to do lines in class? I, I was a regular line person in class. I'll be honest, I actually made some money out of it. I realised there was a gap in the market, and so at home I would write out lines and sell them um, to people who could afford it. Yeah. And then I went to the canteen. You can tell where my motivations lay. But often, when I was copying out the lines, I would make mistakes—little mistakes, small mistakes, nothing major, just really small mistakes. Scholars and people who study these ancient manuscripts just are staggered by the accuracy of the copies that were made of the original manuscripts. Isn't that astounding that God has secured his word throughout the ages for us? Just in comparison, there are other famous historical figures that, uh, you know, wrote big-time pieces of work in the ancient era. Uh, The Iliad has about 647 copies only. Ancient copies that we're aware of. Um... Histories of war and other histories of people, nine and ten, and two copies. On average, Lee Strobel, who, who we've watched the, uh, the movie Case for Christ, as part of his investigation and in finding faith, he discovered that on average an ancient text was copied about every 500 years or so. On average, the Bible has been staggeringly copied and replicated over and over again. There is a lot of evidence for us to trust that this book of Galatians was actually written by someone called Paul at a real time and a real place to a real people. In fact, in about 48 to 49 AD, Paul wrote this letter to Christians in Galatia. This came out of a previous trip that he had made there. A couple of years earlier, Paul had visited and established Christian churches there, both of people who were Gentiles people who weren't Jews and people who were Jews who became followers of Jesus. These churches had a mixture uh, of both groups. The particular area that Paul's writing to is what we call modern-day Turkey. And uh, it'd be really nice and warm there right now. Uh, But Galatia is this middle section here. And most scholars believe that Paul probably went to this area mostly. You can see Tarsus here, Paul's hometown. And of course, Jerusalem and Israel, down this area here. So, so this was a very real letter that was written to real people by a real person. And in reading through and listening through to chapter 1, one word in particular stood out to me. In the NLT version, it was the word shocked. It was the word shocked. Have you ever been shocked before? you ever been astounded, surprised? Something just really got hold of you and shocked you? that is shocking, Judith, but I'm happy about that. I was happy about that. I want us maybe to identify with something that perhaps will help us to feel or sense what Paul was going through, why he wrote, I'm shocked. I wonder if we might identify. You see, when Paul came into this area of Galatia, he, he preached the gospel of Christ, something that was simpler and better something that was free something that was so radical so full of grace and mercy that it completely turned the tables on what the jewish people were used to and people who were worshipping other gods at the at the time it completely turned the tables and made sense to these people paul provided a blueprint for how to follow Jesus, for how to know Jesus, for how to serve Jesus. It was a simpler way. It was a better way. There was a sense that eternity was secure, that my life had a purpose, that I had value because of Jesus. Paul came in and, 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 and brought something to these, these people. Um, Paul gave a blueprint for how to live. Paul explained it all, gave pretty clear instructions on how to go about life. In 97... 1997 at the Uni of Kentucky and also in 2015 at at Texas Tech, there was chemistry labs. And in these chemistry labs, there is very clear instructions about how to dispose of chemicals. Because some chemicals, if you dispose in the wrong way and you put them together, guess what happens? And in these two particular universities, exactly that happened. There was clear instructions everywhere. There was posters on the walls, there was instructions given beforehand and both these two universities recorded how people decided not to follow the instruction. They just decided to dispose of the chemical as they saw fit. And thankfully, there were some uh, students wearing glasses and as the explosion took place and glass fragments went everywhere, several glass fragments hit the protective glasses of some of the students who were working in the chem lab. They were very fortunate that they remembered to always wear glasses while in the chemistry lab because if they weren't, they would have lost their eyesight. There was clear, simple instructions, yet these students harmlessly thought a different way was a better way to go. I remember as a kid, I was always told to put on suntan cream. Suntan cream, at least plus three because back in those days, there was that actual plus three, not plus 1,000 like we have today. And so I remember as a, as a young fellow, about 16 or 17, we went away as a, as a group, uh, as part of the, the church. We just went away for a holiday just because. We went down to um, uh, oh, Karakalinga, Normanville, Normanville. And we were playing beach cricket because that's just a great thing to do. And I put suntan cream on, but I forgot to put it on my calves and my ankles and the top of my feet. And at the end of a day of beach cricket, they were so red. They were so sore. I just failed to follow the rule of putting suntan cream over my entire body, the bits where the sun was going to hit. I put it in the places that were easy and obvious, but I didn't didn't do everything. Have you ever had to build something from Ikea? Have you ever not followed the instructions, got 75% there, and you realise you have to go back because the bit that you missed is really important. Have you ever used caustic soda before? I'm a great believer in caustic soda. It cleans a multitude of sin, especially from my drains. And so I use caustic soda to clean. I don't always follow the rules. And sometimes I find my hands have got this slimy feel about them, because the caustic soda is eating away the dead skin and the bit of layer of skin on my hands. My skin feels beautiful, actually. But but on one occasion, I placed what I was doing, the bucket I was using, and the the caustic soda that I was mixing, onto the bathroom countertop. Do you know what happened to some of the colour of the bathroom countertop? It was diluted of some of its colour, and it's now there. Every time I walk in there, I can see it. And I'm reminded of why there's these instructions. Because if you don't follow the instructions, uh, something isn't going to work out. Have you ever given instructions to somebody and they didn't follow it? Have you ever received instructions and you didn't follow it? You just went about it your own way. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Jeff is the only one, I reckon, who always follows instructions. I'm pretty sure about that. Somehow, sometimes things can go wrong when we don't follow the instructions. When you're not watching where you're going while you're driving, just that moment you look away and you look up and bang. Two of my car crashes have been exactly from that. I rear-ended somebody just because I was looking the other way. Whoops. Thank you, insurance excess. Most recently, I bought something from Facebook. I didn't follow the common sense instructions of never buy anything from Facebook. You know, there are some more serious instructions, matters of life and death in the workplace, processes that have to be followed, otherwise serious consequences, not just a bit of suntan burn. Have you ever experienced not following the process, not following instruction and it going bad? You see, Paul gave very simple and better and in... And and straightforward instruction, and in different versions of the Bible, where where, where my version says shocked, other versions say Paul was marveling. Paul was astonished, surprised, astounded. He he wondered how it could be. Paul can't believe how these people in Galatians could get to the place that they're in. In one version, it says, "Frankly, I'm stunned." I think that was the Aussie version of the Bible. Frankly, I'm stunned. So what Paul is writing about is how can you get away from this very simple equation that Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. That is it. Period. Full stop. End of story. Whatever you believe beforehand, whatever you understood beforehand, whatever you think right now, Paul was writing this letter to restate something very simple and so obvious, something so simple and so obvious, something he only said a year ago, he's absolutely shocked that they could leave such simplicity, such basic understanding. How could they get away from this? You see, in in this book of Galatians, there were these Judaizers. There were these Judaizers, and they came in after Paul had left. Paul was there, established churches, he left and went on his way. Others came in and they began to teach some other things that, yes, Jesus is good, but there's also some practices that you must do in order to maintain and ensure salvation. In order to maintain that you're going to have security, not just here in this life, but into the future. Paul was very upset about this. I want to, and on the face value you think, what, like, can't you just deal with that? Well, for Paul, this was huge. I want to just show you, perhaps in a different way, what was going on here. The people of Galatia, after Paul had left, had fallen into some practices where they believed that you have to do this and believe in Jesus to have salvation, to have eternal life, to have a future with God. You have to live your life like this, plus know Jesus, to be able to know salvation. Now, don't think for one minute this doesn't affect us. Because the world tells us every time we put the TV on what we need to have a good life. It, it absolutely assaults us. It assaults us. In fact, entire religions are built around this concept. And in India, the religion of Hinduism was so powerful over there. There was a way to live where you could kind of work for your salvation, where you could contribute. There's something in us that kind of doesn't want to owe anyone anything. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? We don't want to owe anyone anything. And so when Jesus comes and offers us something free, it's really hard for us to live into. It's really hard for us to accept. We feel like We ought to be something beforehand. We feel like we ought to do something. We feel like we ought to contribute to salvation. This is also our issue. It might be more subtle for us, but don't doubt for one minute that it is there. And so for Paul, he just preached very simply, no, it's just Jesus and salvation. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And so when Paul realized what the Judaizers, what they were, what this new Christians were being taught, when Paul understood that, he was really angry. And I think this picture really helped me to grasp why Paul was upset. You see, for Paul, it was like, are you saying Jesus isn't enough? Are you saying that, that Jesus himself is not enough for your salvation? Are you really saying that? And this just made Paul so mad. It just—it must have just got to him. But maybe this is true for us at times. Is Jesus really enough for us? Really enough for us? In our everyday? In our, in our salvation? In our eternity? In our present? Is Jesus really enough for us? You see, Paul was really shocked. He was really let down. He was exasperated. And for Paul, there's no gray scale. There's no maybe, it's yes or no. For, for Paul, Paul was a hard hitter. If Paul was going to fight you, he'd, he'd knock you out. That, that's just it. He wouldn't play with you. Paul was a straight shooter. I kind of see this aspect of the book of Galatians. If I had to uh, do a card-earn uh, expression of Galatians, this is, this is what I would do. I would grab the old school Batman comics where they got the pow and the pinch and the punch. Remember those? Remember the old school Batman series from the 60s? But I just replaced Batman with Paul there and his iPhone. You can see he's holding his iPhone. I think it's an iPhone 6. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so, so Paul is, is throwing these punches. Pow, pow, pow. Paul is genuinely shocked. You see, for Paul, he was the Jew of the Jews. He had tried Judaism to its full. He had been there. He, he, was, he was the best Jew of the Jews. He had the experience. He knew where that led you. He knew where that took you. Paul understood how this Judaism thing worked and how if it slipped into Christianity, what does that mean for Jesus? So Paul had this experience. He was able to speak to the Galatians and say, listen, I know the path you're going down if you take on these ceremonies. I know what that means. It means that Jesus isn't enough you end up believing you need other things as well. I know what that's like. Paul had only just been there very recently. I think we also have this problem. You ever gone to church and just heard a, a, a great song that just captured your, your heart or, or you're in your own time of prayer and you just felt God speak to you or you made up your mind at the start of 2019 to put some new habits in place? some really recent good things and it's only a short period of time and you're back to where you started. Or, or, or maybe there was just a moment where, you know, you just know the Word of God spoke to your heart and you thought, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to change and I'm going to do that. And so you're okay for a short period of time, but, but after that, it's pretty recent. You just go back to where you were. We, we all struggle with that, don't we? We all face that. We all wrestle with that. And so the Galatian people, we, we need to be a bit careful that we don't punish them too much for what we really do ourselves. Paul only recently came and spoke about a gospel of freedom. And after a short period of time, they really found it easier to also add some works. It was, seemed easier for them. I think also for Paul, he's he's also facing, very human and there's nothing in the scripture to necessarily support this, but he was a guy who the church was a bit fearful of. See, Paul was a a tough guy who before his conversion he went killing Christians. That's a pretty impressive record. That's a pretty aggressive approach. And so, Paul killing Christians, he would now, preaching the gospel and, and now he has a better way. He has a better understanding. He knows Jesus. He's preaching the gospel of freedom and truth. And within one year after he's been, some of his earliest converts have already gone back to where they were. Don't you think that would hurt your credibility a little bit? It's like, Hang on a minute. I'm, I'm trying to show these guys the better way from where I've come from. It's so bad. And the ones who I've just led are now already turned back. I, I, I just feel sorry for him. He's working really hard, trying to speak the truth and, and within a short period of time, he cannot believe, he is shocked. And, and his conversion was incredible. Jesus himself spoke to him. It wasn't just a, not, nothing out of the ordinary, if you want to even just use those words. I mean, no conversion, no, no moment where you, in faith, trust Jesus. is just an ordinary moment. But Paul had something amazing happen. And it turned him around 180 degrees. And so he's expressing this to these people, who "Say, listen, I was the Jew of the Jews and now I've gone a different way. Take it seriously, guys. Don't hop on the same path. And yet that's exactly what these people did. And finally, Paul just spoke the gospel, the, the true freedom of the gospel. And I, I just wonder, you know, didn't they taste freedom? Didn't they experience the mercy of Jesus and his grace? Why have they so quickly gone back? You see, Paul was really shocked. Paul was shocked. So let's read this text. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. What an introduction to his letter. I am shocked that you are turning away, I marvel, I am stunned that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we might be your servant always. Amen. So, Galatians. Jesus plus nothing is everything. I just want to pick out a few points from this passage. Uh, From verses 1 to 5. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. Uh, Paul was not appointed by any group or any human authority. Uh, Paul here is wanting to express to the people of Galatia that, that the authority he has matters. You see, no one here was called to Jesus because of a person. Jesus called you. Jesus died for you. Your relationship is with Christ. It's not to the pastor. It's not to some papal... It's, it's, it's not to a person. You are called unto Jesus yourself. That is very important. That carries an authority with it. Paul is saying, listen, I wasn't appointed by you know some group of people. Jesus called me himself. You see, for these Judaizers to come in, they would have taught, tried to tear Paul down a bit. They would have said, "Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about. You know, Paul's really lost the plot of it. He's one of the new guys in town. He wasn't really sent" by the apostles in Jerusalem. He, he didn't really get sent. Otherwise, why would Paul have to say this? Why would Paul have to reiterate that he was called by Jesus? And so scholars believe that Paul was facing an attack on himself personally. They were attacking his authority. Have you ever faced attack before? Oh, you're a Jesus follower, are you? Oh, you believe in Jesus. Do you really believe that stuff? Is that really true? You, you, you read the Bible, oh, Do you like all the bits of the Bible? You know, what about that bit, you know? Or what about that passage? What about, you know, I heard this or I heard that? We face a similar attack in our own lives. The necessity of the authority that we have comes from Jesus. Jesus has saved us. Jesus has called us. And so Paul, not enough for that. Paul goes on to say, hey, listen, there is more from this letter than just me Other people have read what I'm writing to you, and I want you to know that all the brothers and sisters that are with me join me in sending you this letter. Who knows that there's great power in unity? There's great power in unity when everyone together agrees. When I know that a whole group of people think about me in a certain way, that affects me more than just one person. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Positive peer pressure. Positive peer pressure. When I know that it's just not me it, and, and people agree with me, it kind of helps with credibility. When I stand with another Christian and we pray about something and we agree together, it encourages me. It builds me. It reinforces us together. There's something really important about unity, that the churches, the people in Galatia, weren't just hearing something from Paul, but all of the other brothers and sisters who were with Paul were on board with it. There's something powerful and important about unity. Paul, in the very first verses, doesn't include anything about the law. That is missing in his text. Paul just says, listen, it's just God, it's just Jesus. That is the source of our grace and peace. It has nothing to do with the law. And the church in Galatia, they would have loved that to be in there. They would have loved it to say, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the law give you grace and peace. That's what they would have loved to have read. When, when the readers read this letter from Paul, they would have been searching for, where's, where's the bit about the law? It's not there. You see, where does your supply come from? Where does your grace and peace really come from? I tell you, the Visa card will only go so far. The air conditioners in here, but they go a long way today, I'll grant you that. But they'll only go so far. The pharmacists will only go so far. Where does your grace and peace come from? What's your source of grace and peace? From God. From God. Yet in our lives there is a real risk that we can allow certain things to take the place of Christ. We can add to Christ. So it's Christ and my comforts. It's Christ and my habits. It's Christ and my attitudes that I can enjoy salvation, that I can enjoy everything. Again, Jesus himself is the way we know salvation. It has nothing to do with following the law. It has nothing to do with process or procedure. It is simply the work of Christ. Because of what Jesus did for us, because God the Father planned ahead of time that Jesus would come and give his life for us, we now have salvation and the glory is to God and God alone. We cannot take any glory for ourselves. That's hard for us. Who loves a compliment here? Who enjoyed Brian singing this morning? Yeah, we love a compliment. Who enjoyed me singing this morning? Thank thank, thank you, that's a courtesy, courtesy, thumbs up, thank you, thank you. We all love a compliment, don't we? But something about the gospel will not allow us to have that. We don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. It's amazing how much we want to take care of it for ourselves. Verses 6 to 10, there is, this, there is this shocking, shocking way that people have turned away from Paul. What have they turned away from? They've turned away from simply the loving mercy of Christ. And they've turned towards their own ways, a way that only pretends a way that only pretends to achieve the outcome. Ceremonies and other things that we put in our life, other things that, you know what, it can actually fool us. We can be fooled by other things that we allow to be added into our life, needs that we have. And the speed of loss astounds Paul. It's simply his loving mercy It's simply Christ alone. You see, the reason why Paul's writing this letter is just not to hit them over the heads. He's writing this letter because he loves them and because he's begging them to return. He's begging them to not give up the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the mercy of Jesus, to not sacrifice the simplicity of what Jesus has given to us for something that we create, for a complexity that we make. But Paul doesn't just let it rest in a soft way. He says, he you says, know what? If you want to do something other than Christ, then, then I'm going to say the C word. For, for, for this time, for this ancient time, the word curse was a terrible, terrible thing. To have the word curse meant that your life was hopeless. There was no future. There was no salvation. There was no favour with God. Curse is the worst. Like that little rhyme. Curses the curse was the worst for them. And so for these people, hearing that added to the weight of what Paul was saying. And so how does Paul finish? Paul says, Well, I'm not trying to please you in this. Otherwise, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. I I, I just wonder if we constantly ask the question, one way or another, how can I please people? How can I please myself? I wonder if that dominates our experience in our life. How can I please people around me? How can I please myself? I wonder if that's the question that dominates our existence and our reality. That's the question that causes us to allow the truth and the purity of Jesus and what he's done for us to be twisted. That creates a pretend gospel where we feel like we're doing the right thing because we're pleasing other people. That is the single fundamental direction and effort of our life is to please others and to please me. But how can we please God? Isn't that the real question? We, we, we can't. We can't. But for the loving mercy of Jesus, we can know grace and peace. And so where we started, wedged in between these verses, is a passage and a text that challenges us so to know grace and peace is to be a servant of Christ. What does that mean for us? Maybe, maybe for you it's to actually surrender. Surrender again. Surrender again through a prayer of faith. Maybe for you today, it's to believe in his promises afresh. It's to take the word of God and what the word of God says and to believe in those, really believe in his promises afresh. Maybe it's to simply just have patience in uncertainty. When you really don't have the answer when you're not sure to be patient in Christ. Maybe it's to be hopeful in the salvation that you have. Or perhaps there's a sense that salvation doesn't really mean much to you right now. Yes, you got saved and you had an experience and it was amazing and wonderful. And yes, you know heaven is there, but right now there's a real sense that salvation doesn't really mean much to me at the moment. I can't tangibly show it or I can't tangibly feel it or I can't tangibly feel grace and peace. Maybe for you it's it's to be reminded of the hope you have in Christ. Maybe it's to trust in his faithfulness. Do you really trust that he is faithful this morning? You see, I think that's the summary of Paul's letter. And to us, if Paul was writing, he would say the same thing to us. Do you really trust in Jesus alone? Because Jesus plus nothing is everything. So may you know the grace and peace of Father God. May you live in the love of Christ and his mercy. And may you always be his servant.